Well, hello. Once again, you have found a Texas Steampunk Connection. Broadcasting to you throughout the multiverse, Steamverse, from our various bunkers and airships. With me, as always, is Fax, Gentleman Adventurer. Hello, hello. With me is Jack from Steam Chest. Hello. <laughs> and with us today, Master Blue Stocking from <laughs> Steampunk Dollhouse Podcast. So once again, we are here to talk oh, probably about Steampunk, most likely. Guess what this is about. Thank you for listening to the Texas Steampunk Connection. All right, we're in it. Sweet. Right. I don't know that anybody is is actually tuned in since we didn't have that usual opening uh, banter, but uh, this is a special uh, matinee for us here in Texas. We have the opportunity to uh, interview with uh, Bonsart uh, from the Netherlands. He is the host and creator of uh, Radio Retro Future, which is, I think, both a podcast and a uh, a couple of YouTube channels. and. he is uh, over in the Netherlands, which is blowing my mind. Uh, I have never streamed with someone on the other side of the planet before. It uh, the the fact that that is even possible <laughs> blows blows my mind completely. Uh, you oh, kids these days, you can do anything. Uh, all right, so welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. And thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have you. Yeah, we um, we're very interested in this. <laughs> okay. Uh, where should we start? Um, some of our listeners are probably familiar with Radio Retro Future. Um, I've watched a few of the videos uh, previous to arranging this, and, and I watched a few more this week. Uh, you're much more uh, uh, polished than, than we are on this show, uh, and uh, very knowledgeable in in steampunk and and its origins and and just all the 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 details of of the the movement so really looking forward to picking your brain uh how did you get started in in steampunk uh well i'm gonna have to give the kind of like default answer that i is something that i've always done uh i've always enjoyed um you know working with recycled materials from from very early on uh, I have always had a great uh, fondness for, for history and science fiction. Uh, and I also hear myself echo, by the way. I don't know. Who uh, if you are uh, streaming on Facebook or, or streaming on a, another page, it's probably, uh, probably the, the, it's, sound it's, uh, on. It's sending out the music mute. there, too. You mute one of your pages that have the thing playing. Well, let's see. Okay. Um but um yeah that that's basically something that i've always done and uh yeah so it, it came kind of naturally i i did reenactment for about uh 10 years 14 years something like that and yeah then i i i get, got into writing and uh, i started on a kind of like science fiction fantasy series at the time and um, yeah, that, that's kind of like how I, I got into the, the, the steampunk thing because I really wanted to have a lot of historical references in there and I wanted the fashion in particular to be inspired by the Golden Age and, and a lot of the plots were also inspired by the Dutch Golden Age. Um, and uh, yeah, then there was a, a convention nearby called Emporium Furness that lasted about three years and then the, uh, the, the one organizing that had to stop because of health reasons. Um, but that was like really my my breakthrough uh, into the the steampunk community, and I I was looking for something interesting to do at the time, and um, then I got into steampunk, and that's you know I all of a sudden got an inspiration to blog about it, and that's when I created a blog called Topperware Steampunk, and that finally developed into uh, the the creation of Dankert Lexicon, the character I play for the Steampunk Beginner's Guide. And eventually into Radio Retro Future, and uh, that eventually developed into the Association of Ishtar. And uh, that sort of brings us closer to current. The Association of Ishtar, um, I was talking with Jack about this uh, earlier this week. Uh, It's my understanding it's sort of a collaborative uh, effort to bring other authors into your sort of uh, steampunk world concept. Is that... yeah, multiverse concept. So because I created the Steampunk Beginner's Guide, I got a lot of questions regarding world building. 
And because I was doing so much on world building at the time, uh, it seemed a bit weird that I wasn't writing myself anything. And uh, that's, you know, but I also wanted it to be something that I could use as a kind of like a tool to, uh, you know, teach people uh, about, you know, writing steampunk, steampunk characters, steampunk concepts, but also one that went beyond the typical, well, basically goths in brown stereotypes and, and airship tropes. Um, and um, I was already doing, um, I was also working on like, I, I had, I have also have costume groups. We had like the 113th Ragtag, for example. Uh, which we did for a long time, and we wanted to do something with case files for that, you know, to kind of like bring the world to life. It didn't really develop into anything, really, uh, because, well, time and, and uh, lack of inspiration. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's... And, and I also didn't have a background for Danker, so I also wanted to 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 create something for that. But I didn't want him to be oh, he's just a just a clanker, you know. It sounded a bit too simple. Uh, he needed to be something more than that. And um, yeah, he uh, I, I finally wrote a story for him, which is kind of like presented the idea, which is S11. Um, that wasn't the first story I wrote uh, for the series. The first story I wrote was. Uh, S36, of which uh, I made a uh, short comic. Um, so this is the, the comic is also try out to see how that process goes. So it's really me learning how to create comics and flesh out characters and ideas and communicate with artists, which are all various skills that you need to learn if you want to create something like a comic, which I, I learned. And I, I had great help from an Australian creator I had on the show called SK. And uh, yeah, he basically like taught me the, the, the basics, like how you put a, together a, uh, a a storyboard for a comic. And um, yeah, that that became my first comic book. And it is an addition to um, the Wrench in the Machine, the the first novel of the series. I'm currently working on the second one. That kind of continues the story in in some sense. Um, and yeah, that that's basically. Uh, my introduction for somebody who's completely new to the series, um, to the to the, the multiversity association of Ishtar, and the idea behind the multiverse is so uh, people could like insert like, oh, this is my idea for a steampunk setting, um, and uh, yeah, so so all these worlds exist. However, they cannot really interact with one another, but they can be explored. So all these worlds can exist in the same multiverse. They're not really interacting with one another. So everyone is free to do whatever they want with them. And uh, yeah, if you don't, if you are writing for the series and you don't want to acknowledge some worlds exist, you can do that. Uh, so the, the idea is also very inspired by the SCP Foundation. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah, so... Jack is much more familiar with them than I am. I've watched a few of their videos, but... Uh... I just stumbled across it on YouTube, and I, I was like, what is what is this? Um, it seems sort of a sci-fi horror pieces that I would, didn't know how they went together. Was there a video game or some other media that I didn't understand? Jack, tell us more about the, the, the SCP background. Foundation? So we uh, well, it's essentially just the... I like to think of it as kind of a collaborative movement by a bunch of writers to do something very X-Files-y and have it to where it's this this massive government organization that will span, I guess, actually spans larger than any one government. And it's all about kind of keeping all these different monsters or myths kind of segregated from the rest of the world, what we consider normal. And um, I don't know, it seems like, there's there's a couple of good animes that kind of go around this like let's contain this monster kind of thing and it really fits with that style of um of, of writing and anybody can have an have a, a monster that they want to put into it and it's particulars it's kind of written in like a documentary or a documentary yeah. format where it's like obviously some caseworker who's having to like file this and all this documentation that comes with it and their job of sitting there like, all right, what's different about it? What's special about it? Oh, how many people has it killed? What is its special ability? Yada, yada, yada. What are the special things that have to go around it? How much money does it cost to keep this thing from, you know, terrorizing the universe and removing all of mankind? Or, and some of them are fairly benign too. And it's just really cool 
creepy, uncomfortable stories that um, I yes. really, I really enjoy the edginess of it. And some of the writers are really good. And so I'm very happy to be, you know, seeing that there is a steampunk one because we have such a vibrant that has the ability to basically infinite different universes or multiverses that would fit into something like this, having a very large, like Illuminati group that does nothing but try to keep the rest of the universe from imploding on itself because of these in particular super powerful beings or elder gods or uh, inanimate objects that are found and that it just kind of, if any of this actually fell into the wrong hands, could tip entire balances of governance or world order. And Blue Stocking, yeah. you familiar with these two? You've watched... I listened to the podcast for probably about a year, but I had entirely too many podcasts that I was listening to. So <laughs> yeah, because I listened to the SCP archives and I lost track, but it, it is, I mean, it's easy to jump in and out because there may be loose ways that they're tied together, but most of the stories are standalone and independent. And that's, so it can be jarring when you first jump into that, but then you, for me, my problem was I kept trying to figure out, okay, did we hear about this before? Is this connected to this? You know, it's to try to put it together. So, but it mm -hmm. is, it's a really cool concept because it's just, it's just a, like, I can't even think of the word I'm looking for. It's just the, the consciousness that builds these stories together and they're all playing off of each other. It's one of my favorite things about the internet that things like this exist now. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I looked through some of these stories when I was, when I had time this week and I like the concept and some of these are just, I watched some of the videos and it's a really cool idea. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, because no, Bonsard, you have a few on your on your YouTube channel. Yes, are, are I think they six in total. Intended, yeah. Are they intended to go with the CPT? Uh, am I getting that right? Uh, but their their sort of world, or are yours uh, more intended for your your steampunk style? Uh, uh, the, the the videos are actually short stories that I had already written, uh, so they're also on the Association of Ishtar website, so they're basically uh, audio dramas, uh, some of them are more like normal audiobooks, some of them are far more elaborate, um, only the uh, one I did on Arcology, Capital of the Multiverse, is it separate video, uh, because that's what we depict on our encampment uh, when we uh, go to events. So it seemed logical that, that we, we made an introductory video to it. Uh, it's it's also uh, apart from uh, the world of the association itself, Atlas. That's that's the the one world I'm I'm working most on, and uh, it's also uh, where much of the second novel is going to take place. So um, for that reason, uh, I made kind of like a a concept video about it. Uh, because, you know, for me, there is a difference between world building and building a world. And, uh, yeah, the only the way to world build is to actually write the story and, and, and see how it works and, and try to visualize it. Because I also work with various artists uh, on that video. So we uh, had, to, had to do it uh, that way. Um, so I, I have not written that into a, a separate story yet. There are uh, several stories that explore various elements about arcology and, and what the place is like. And I recently also started to make uh, various pulp-like stories that uh, kind of explore Dankert Lexicon. He's the founder of arcology in this case. Um, yeah, and uh, especially in a new novel, I'm, I'm, I'm really going into Dankert and uh, some other character that became very popular within the series proper itself. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched the uh, the Arcology introduction uh, this week, um, and it, it seems very uh, dark, uh, dismal, <laughs> and and it really cuts you off from any other uh, world or piece of the multiverse. You're just sort of stuck in this. Yeah, it's hole it's, in the it's literally. Uh, especially uh, my uh, video. I, I, the next video I want to make is about the sticks, which really delves into this whole purgatory uh, concept, and it also plays a major role uh, in uh, in the next novel, where there are like these these, these tourists, as they're called, uh, who come in and they can return because they have got the so-called silver ticket, which allows them to travel with the white zeppelin, or yeah, white zeppelin. And, uh, you know, and, and how this leads to conflict, because, you know, these, these scavengers uh, and, and kibs, 
which are mentioned in the novel, they, they are stuck there. They, 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 they have no place to return to. Once ecology is gone, it's over for them. There, there is just nothing left. Uh, you know that that's apart from everything else that they have no connection with each other. They all have completely different backgrounds. These people have no homes uh, other than than what they built in ecology and. You know, life expectancy there is not high. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah, that was uh, kind of creepy. <laughs> you know, hearing that reminds me of that uh, story about the the zombie ants that they found living in a um, leaking Russian underground facility. There was this massive ant bed, and there's this like big rip in it that drops down into this Russian facility. And there's an entire ecology of the ones that fall down in there trying to survive and like pillaging off of the dead ones of the others and like find like building this massive dead pyramid of other ants to try to get out. And I think they went in like 20 years prior, saw it, left it alone, came back 20 years later, and they finally had figured out a way like the there's now like a way for them to get out that was built by the colony and uh, just just but. The, the dismalness of falling down this massive gaping chasm and being having to deal with not being part of your group anymore, or having a home is just, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I think that I, for that, my impression based on the video is very much like that untold horrors. <laughs> I was kind of freaked well, out. I, I mean, it was like, okay, I want to create a city, um, that's that's kind of like my vision of, of certain elements of the steampunk community and you know what, what is it that steampunks want well they want you know they're always adventurers you know they have this fascination with lovecraft they have this this fascination with all these strange strange curiosities and and, and time periods which they then blend together into some type of new formless thing and uh, that that's kind of like how I, I came up with 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 ecology, uh, but yeah, also strong sense of resentments of of people not feeling that they belong, uh, that are born in the wrong era. So there's a lot of symbol uh, symbolism in play there, and uh, there was also this character that was actually requested by uh, a member of our Discord community. We have a Discord community for people who are interested in projects like this, uh, called the Overseer. Uh, who is actually from from Atlas? Who who crashed there with one of the first spaceships uh, that they built on Atlas? And uh, yeah, and, and also he he loves it there. Uh, so <laughs> there's uh, like all these strange, weird fascinations that people have with the place because it's also a very unique place that exists nowhere else in that universe, or at least for now. Uh, and that is that anyone can go there and not fall apart because that's what's uh, one of the rules about the multiverse and why worlds cannot interact with one, with one another is because when you stay away too long from your plane of origin, you fall apart. It's what is often referred to as uh, interplanar entropy or traveler's decay, depending uh, on the pick your name. Uh, but you, you don't suffer from that in arcology. That's so that's also one of the mysteries. Uh, why that's that 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 station floating out there in, in in the middle of the void is not affected by by that. So interesting. Right. So it's a place of horrors and nightmares, but you don't disintegrate and go away. You have to live through it until survive it. just just terminally survive. Yes. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. But you know, isn't that what life is? You know, so in that regard. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> There's a, there's a philosophical discussion to be had there. Uh. Now, one of the reasons why uh, we got the opportunity to talk to you today is because you have this new book out um, called uh, uh, The Wrench in the Machine. How does that fit in with your uh, association of Istar, other stories, or uh, more general multiverse? Does it, or is it like its own thing? Um, well, I, I don't like, I didn't like the idea of writing a, tr uh, a trilogy, uh, because, you know, then you're, you're, A, you're forced to actually write it, and, uh, B, um, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're dragging people along in a, on a ride that probably can be told, like, in a third time of a, tr in a, a trilogy, so, um, what this uh, basically is, the wrench in the machine, I'll, I'll show it again, uh, the wonderful art of, uh, my friend uh, Starringer from Sweden, 
Um, it's what I wanted to do with this book uh, because I introduced the idea to uh, a Canadian publisher uh, who I had on the show, Jeff Grange. I think I pronounced his name right. He wrote the uh, Terra Obscura, the Terra Obscura uh, series. And well, he said, well, we love the idea, but because we all, I also used a similar format to SCP Foundation where it are case files, uh, I do introduce more characters and, and, and narrative in that because I don't like the, often I don't like the descriptions of SCP. They just become forgettable white noise when I read them, unfortunately. Uh, but I love the idea, but I, I try to be more, um, you know, more, more story driven. Rather than you know naming up dry facts and then include like the various uh, details and how these things work in, in actual practice, rather than just describing it as, as many mm -hmm. SCPs often do. So that that was that was one, and so it was like okay, well, so I have to write a story that kind of connects these various files uh, to each other. So I basically picked a number of files uh, which are in my own head can already related in some way. And uh, basically, I, I just started mashing them together, and, and then I introduced another character, S06. Uh, she is a girl who, uh, when she arrived on Atlas uh, by accident, uh, believed that that technology and magic were the same thing, uh, which was kind of like inspired by a discussion I, I kept coming across that. Uh, you know, this misunderstanding of the meaning of Clark Tech. Uh, are you familiar with, with the term? Clark Tech. Yes. Uh, mm -mm. No. Clark Tech is. Uh, it was. Uh, I hope I have the first name right. Arthur Clark, a well-known science fiction writer, and he uh, once said that. Well, uh, in order uh, to uh, explore the futuristic, we need to go delve into the uh, into the fantastical. So uh, technology becomes indistinguishable from magic, and a lot of people have started to interpret this. Oh well. In that case, you might as well use magic instead of technology in science fiction. Uh, that, that, so uh, that is basically what inspired her character, uh, which was a, a young girl who believed that her, uh, she is a cyborg. However, she believed that all her implants, all the, the, the things that make her transhuman, was magical. So she wears, you know, wizard robes and she uses spells. And, and when she's doing, uh, you know, for example, chem, uh, chemistry, she, she has all these, these rituals and it's driving everyone up the wall. Uh, so, uh, because the, 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 it's this girl and, uh, and they're like, okay, we want to return her, except that. Uh, one of these mages actually come to Atlas uh, because they are so far advanced in their technology, they know how to hide rifts, so the association cannot find the rift. Um, and one of these mages come back uh, to explain them, you know, stay the hell away from our rifts. And, and Okay, association, it's okay, okay, fine, we'll stay away from your rifts. Uh, but what about the girl? And they're like, we don't give a damn about the girl, she's going to stay here. So the association is stuck with this girl um, who, because of, well, essentially politics, cannot go back. And uh, yeah, see how she stays alive, that's a bit of a mystery uh, for the remainder of the novel. Um, but uh, essentially she's forced to live there for, for many years. And by the time the novel begins, she, uh, yeah, her, uh, because she is still growing her implants, uh, basically... Uh, start failing because they're built for a girl of 12 years old and by the time the book is he's 16 so um, and I'll, I'll leave that uh, uh, discussion right there um, but yeah so she appears in the uh, uh, in the book um, you know even though she has nothing to do uh, with the antagonists of the series that is uh, actually th those are uh, they are uh, I think I can say this. Um, there is this transhumanist cult uh, in the book, uh, and um, they uh, I in, I originally wrote them for a, a different steampunk series, so doing kind of something similar. Uh, and, and oh my god, I forgot their name. Nope, forgot it. Uh, must be the absent. And uh, but yeah, they're, they're doing something similar. Um, but uh, they about the idea because uh, and this this kind of draws into the, my first story that I wrote, S36, uh, 
when I was still doing high school, I had a friend and he was really into ham radios at the time. And he, uh, you know, and then we would be late at night. We would be sitting behind his ham radio and he introduced me to the concept of number stations. Are you familiar with that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mostly <laughs> I'm familiar with them as a, as a, uh, something to be added to other narratives and stories and like, uh, oh, TV and stuff. I, I never understood why they exist, but I know of them. Uh, well, the, yeah. the idea is that uh, the, that these are often run by secret agencies. Um, one famous one was the Lincoln Poacher. That's the one that inspired uh, S-36, uh, which is an interdimensional assassin. Um, and she likes to contact her victims uh, through radio Um well, I, I could go into the world building and why that's all relevant for the series as a whole. But uh, so she, she basically contacts her, her victims through radio and all the associates of Ishtar, they have numbers. Uh, they don't use like pretty code names. They have numbers. Uh, so you've got associate six, associate 178, uh, associate 321. Um, and yeah, she, she recites the numbers through the radio. Uh, prior to her text and uh, that that was inspired by those number stations because you got to imagine and I, I don't know if if people are still familiar with this phenomena but when you used to go on a radio you're you're sitting in your car you're going to the radio station you would hear all this white noise and all these various signals coming through the ether and the, and, and the white noise in the middle of the night while it's raining and we would be sitting there uh, behind that ham radio you've got the same effect and uh, then all of a sudden you hear this eerie tune play because they're all, they all, all of them started with a very eerie tune, which was often, it was usually a happy number, Lincoln Poultry is a happy number. But when you hear this, like an eight bit sound in the middle of the night, it's like, and then you hear like this, this, this bland woman's voice just reciting these random numbers. Now, these numbers hold meaning to the people for who they're intended. Uh, they, they probably have like a code book or something or I don't one know. One-time pads. Yeah, they, yeah, a lot of them used one, they're supposed to use one-time pads. Yes. Yeah, so. um, and uh, so it makes sense to them. But when you are, you know, um, some random person, like, what the hell is this? And it sounds really bloody creepy. And um, the S36 uh, thing is basically like, what if those numbers refer to you? So um, that, that's 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 kind of like how the whole association of Ishtar was created, and and what they were doing uh, through that story. Um, and uh, I don't recall if I'm answering a question or anything. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, I wanted to know the the new book, the Wrench in the Machine. Um, how does it so? How does it connect to the association of ishtar and your other um projects because you do list it uh as an association of ishtar story yes well like i said uh s06 uh, is one of the uh protagonists of the story um uh s36 is actually one of the main antagonists and then there are various other files uh, that uh, the uh, the protagonists finds during their investigations. So that's how it uh, plays in uh, into uh, into that. So the, there there are the, some of the short stories are actually included in the novel uh, as well. Okay, all right. And uh, you have the first chapter um, available online through through a, a YouTube uh, video that uh, I listened to. And it, it's sort of a, a, a mystery. A, am I getting that correct? As far as yeah. the entire novel, it's it's a, a mystery plot? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah, no, I started listening to it earlier, too. And I, I'm i intrigued. <laughs> I'm <laughs> looking at it here. It's, of course, available on, uh, on Amazon. And links can be found through our main website. And in January, it will also be uh, both the comic and uh, the novel will be on sale on places like Goodreads, Barnes & Nobles, and all the other uh, things. So, okay, yeah. so the novel itself, the great big novel, comes out in January? Uh, no, it's already available on Amazon. Is it? Oh, okay. I was looking earlier. I didn't. Okay, I will go back and look again. <laughs> oh, well, I've got a feeling I, I need to be more clear about that on the website, but um, I don't know. I did have to hunt for the available now button a little bit. Other than that, I found it. 
And of okay. course, if I typed in the rinse in the machine, it's one of the first things that pops up. Of course, that could be my internet cookies. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very it's a pretty unique title, I noticed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I did so, uh, post a link to associationofishtar.com. From yes, there, you. Um, you scroll down to that picture of the wrench in the machine, it'll take you straight to the Amazon yep. page. Yeah. Uh, so that definitely available. Uh, for those of you who have Kindle Unlimited, it looks like you can probably get that for. Yes, it's also on Kindle. That's why, uh, because it's on Kindle Unlimited, that's why it's only available in January on Barnes and Nobles. And gotcha. Yeah, so that's the reason why that is. So blame Amazon's uh, terms of service because I have to wait three months, even though b people barely read it. On I think one or two people have read it up till now on Kindle Unlimited. So, gotcha. But, yeah, I, I'm glad it's there. That is awesome. It's a pretty thick book. It's uh, six hundred pages, right? I, yeah, uh, that's that's well. Uh, I there are two reasons for that. One because those short stories are included, and uh, I must also say, uh, regarding to the to the thickness, uh, it's also very widely spaced. Uh, my layout specialist did that. Um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is probably a bit much spaced, but there are a lot of people who were like, oh, actually, I like that. It's easier to read that way. So um, I am uh, working on a hardcover. Um, it's kind of like a two-pronged attack, which is one is a, a coloring book for adults based on scenes uh, from the novel. And uh, the hardcover version will also include uh, dead art. Nice. Nice. I do that like a coloring fun. book. I can grab a couple of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Do you do your own art for these? No. Um, I uh, commission various artists. I also use the coloring book to kind of to get to know uh, various artists. Um, currently, two drawings have already been done uh, by an artist by the name of Neutron Boar. Uh, he's uh, made some some great drawings of Associate 321 uh, and uh, S09, a character who does not appear uh, in the book, but she is a favorite. Uh, she's a Napoleon clone uh, who's also a cripple. And so and, and there's a lot of potential to be had there because uh, Napoleon, uh, lore-wise, actually has a major influence on this world because he might have been uh, the, the one person who discovered the existence of the rifts to all these other multi, all these other worlds to begin with. Um, of course, this is not yet fully explored. Um, I'm, I'm, I have like a folder with dozens of story ideas that I want to include. Uh, or people, uh, and, uh, and, and like I said, other people are also welcome to contribute. So... Um, yeah, so um, that, I'm that, that seems like it goes toward the uh, towards answering the question of one of our uh listeners. Uh, Vice Sci Fi said, Any books like the Difference Engine and like the Difference Engine, I'm interpreting to mean uh, alternative histories. And if you're playing with the idea of Napoleon coming across uh rifts into other universes, that definitely sounds like alternate history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, the world of Atlas, which is a code name for their version of Earth, uh, like for me, uh, my definition of steampunk is is cyberpunk in the past. Uh, I'm, uh, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a student of history, and uh, for me, what makes steampunk so interesting is that it combines science fiction with all, with the alternate history genres, and you know, this this idea of what what Gibson did in the Difference Engine. Uh, you know what? What does the world look like, or or past look like, uh, if if that machine actually functioned? Um, and what I've done, especially with the world of Atlas, is okay. So they have like all this access to all these different worlds. What does that look like? And um, originally, I created. It was intended as a joke uh, for for joke advertisements. A company called Utter Crap. Um, <laughs> And, you know, if it's not utter crap, it's just a piece of shit. You know, that type of advertisement. <laughs> and, um, you know, so you've got like, uh, you know, utter, utter crap uh, appliances, you know, utter, utter crap sewing machines. You get the idea. I think I own a few of those. Yeah. Yes. And uh, <laughs> well, the 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 thing was that Utter Crab was like also the best quality you could actually get in that world, except it would be called Utter Crab. So, <laughs> well, you got, you got to realize, sir, this is actual, genuine Utter Crab quality. You know. <laughs> 
but but yeah, that 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 joke, uh, I kind of carried it away. I, there is actually a a case file dedicated to utter crap. Um, but uh, no, they they are now uh, one of the biggest uh, multinationals. Uh, it was founded by two gay gentlemen who were also the first uh, gay married couple uh, in their world. Uh, however, in reality, they've created like this entire corporate cult uh, with the idea of implementing all the technology they find in all these various worlds into the world without it becoming like this 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 complete mishmash of of, of garbage. Uh, so they they are very constructionist, very utopian, and they have like this entire roadmap of what technology gets introduced when. And one of the first technologies they introduce is radios, which also plays into the whole uh, S thirty six theme because they the radio was not invented in eighteen seventy, uh, which is like one of these watershed moments that's often forgotten, which was the the the, the Franco Prussian War, uh, which unified Germany. So. Germany is not unified in this universe, um, and uh, yeah, Uttercrab is is basically you know determining the, the 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 whole technological process of this world. Uh, they do this in in a kind of like love hate relationship with the Association of Ishtar, um, and uh, yeah, they they work with various governments to 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 achieve their objectives, um, and it. Also plays in with some some side stories that I I'm, I'm working on as well, but that's for the future for now. Or go watch my podcast I did with the uh, Sci-Fi for Me channel. There I actually do go into it. I have to uh, have to poke around and, and find that. Yeah, <laughs> this this is very interesting because, uh, or at least to me, um, you're using uh, historical references to uh, 19th century Europe, which I know almost nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's also a thing yeah <laughs> the, well i, I, I must say like, overall the, the the historical knowledge in the steampunk community is rather poor in my experience i i tested this by the way well i think and excuse me for being general as making generalizations but uh steampunks in america are much more focused on american history in the 19th in century yeah uh britain a bit yeah, uh, yeah but uh, english victorian yeah I like to think that all our our big heroes are are kind of American. Uh, Nikola Tesla, you know, was American, and and uh, mm. engineering and, and uh, was in America. I have, a, I, I have a Croatian co-host who is now probably very annoyed that you said that about Nikola Tesla. Well, I, we know he's Russian, but he was in America at the time. He he was an American. He's, he uh, yeah, he now demands that I invite him on the show, and uh, he also threatens to murder you. So, hey, I, Bring I'm it. not, I'm not saying he can't be your hero too. And but... also, he now also threatens the other guy for claiming he was Russian. So, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, he did his work here, and uh, he, uh, I, I don't think he ever considers himself not American. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we're we're gonna take him. Sorry. <laughs> you can't have uh, it's like all these pop-ups right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but well, let, let, let me make a, a general observation about worldwide steampunk community, um, which is that one of the, the the wonderful things about the steampunk community is that there are no like corporate overlords determining you know, what conventions should promote, you know, it's a completely, like the SCP Foundation, it's one of the few uh, worldwide communities in pop culture that, you know, created their own space uh, on their own terms without, you know, uh, some some Hollywood yeah. uh, guy telling them, oh, well, you have to promote this movie now, or you have got to promote that now. Um, you know, and that's also a bit of its Achilles heel. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the wonderful thing about it is when I talk to steampunks, steampunk writers, steampunk creators, they're often inspired by their own local history. Uh, you know, uh, I had a French guy on, like his, his ancestry uh, lays with the Suave, which are a particular type of light infantry that the French used throughout their colonial empire. Um, you know, and then that's something uh, that's a point of pride for him. So he incorporates that into his steampunk, you know, and th that goes for, you know, a lot of steampunks are very uh, inspired by the local history of their own city, uh, you know, their own state, their own country. Uh, you know, I think it's a shame there's so little 
uh, Dutch theme punk, and I go a little bit on on uh, the Dutch thing. Also, Uttercrap is is focused in the Netherlands for that reason, in Flevoland to be exact. Which, in case you're not familiar with the history, Flevoland used to be a lake, and then uh, the Dutch decided we we want that to be land, and then there was land, um, and um, yeah, Uttercrap water in in this universe, Uttercrap is responsible for 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 creating it, and they create their own little corporate capital on there. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful way to you know you're you're making a fantasy world in a sense. However, you do address like extra historical things, and I do notice when I uh, I mention, for example, that one of the characters in the book uh, descends from Dutch orangists. Of course, uh, no foreign person knows what an orangist is, so they Google it and then they're like, "Oh, I learned something new today." You know, simply by by one uh, of the, uh, you know, I'm an educator at heart. Uh, like I'm also horribly introvert, so uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm not suitable for for most educational institutions. But um, you know, I do love uh, you know that I can educate people. You know, without them realizing they're being educated on on historical events, um, and that's also kind of what the title of the book refers to—the wrench in the machine. Yeah, that was kind of the point I was I was wanting to make that uh, your book is is Europe centric, and it's going to bring up a bunch of uh, historical references that I'm going to have to go out and and learn more Actually, about. It also talks about African history as well. So very interesting. Um, that that's. That sounds like a lot of fun because I, like I said, I know next to nothing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us know like the uh, I like to call it the Indiana Jones historical references to a lot of how American history works, and it's not true. But uh, mm-hmm. I've been digging a little bit more into like just I wanted to know more about the Orient during the 1800s and 1700s, and that's been like that'd be a fa- fascinating way to go into it for steampunk as well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there are well, some books like that that do exist, so I can give you a list later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean that's also what what I do with the short stories. And when I when people ask me like, oh, I want to write a book, and I said, have you written a short story yet? And often the answer is no. Uh, and I say, well, start with a short story and you know show that, and then we'll talk. You know, um, because when it comes to um, you know writing a book there one of the, uh, first of all a lot of people like underestimate how difficult it is how much practice you need to actually come up with a decent narrative um you know i i had to take several breaks where i started uh um what well, i got i got distracted by our Croatian friend again um <laughs> i forgot about something else i said yes uh, <laughs> but um you know that there, there's a lot of research that went into this. For example, I had uh, it talks a lot about the history of the British police force, uh, which the, the British police has a very unique history uh, because most police forces uh, stem from the military. Uh, you know that's why a policeman in the uh, France is called a gendarme, uh, and that that model has been spread through through much of of, of the continent. Um, the British police force is very different. Uh, it was, uh, you know, they had, they, they were much more occupied with, with sanitation and, and containing trouble and, and unrest than they were with actual law enforcement. Uh, so, you know, they would patrol the streets uh, in a top hat and armed only with a truncheon or, or even just a, 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 a rattle, you know. So if there was something that happened, they could rattle and, you know, that's, that was policing. Uh, they would also clear drains and do stuff like that. Um, so I, I had to do a lot of research in how the police force was was organized because, you know, we are familiar with the national police force. They didn't have a national police force. They had borough polices. They, they policed a, bar- a borough. So... Uh, and the 1870s is still the, the time of the borough police. So I had to like figure out like how, how are they organized? What is their history? Uh, a lot of them were also firefighters. Um, so I, I, had to, I, I made some amendments there um, because their Napoleonic War was a lot more than uh, like the Second World War where Napoleon used technology that he recovered to launch missiles at England. Uh, because he uh, could not make the crossing, so and and Napoleon was an extremely vindictive man. 
um, where he done similar things to, to cities he could not take. He would just bombard them, not because there was any point in doing so, but just out of spite. And so it, it, it lays completely into his character to do that. And uh, yeah, so and, and so there there is this 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 tale that during that time the city of Dover, where uh, the most of the events take place in the book, uh, they already have their own fire department, uh, which would be one of the first in England at the time in this timeline. So that that's how I how, how I play uh, with with history that way, and, and kind of like create these what if scenarios and. You know, and that's why um, to bring it to a, a larger uh, point, uh, one of my pet peeves is to complain about steampunk getting drawn too much into fantasy uh, because of a lack of an ima uh, imagination. Well, I, I did notice that in your first chapter of the new book, it did feel like very. You, you knew what you were talking about when you were talking about the the local borough police, and uh, they're basically kind of competing with the metropolitan police and we don't want them to hear about this because then you know we're going to look bad and i thought that sounded really uh believable you clearly had done some done the research well uh, I, I, that that particular one is also my experience of working in offices um <laughs> you know did I, I mean really when it comes to to i i have a i work as an information manager and that means that i uh, i'm always the person looking from outside into the work processes so uh and i often get to see things no one else does and you know that that a lot of workplaces are just like high school uh <laughs> And, Pretty much, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's kind of what that 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 little remark was about. But you know, that's the type of of nonsense that uh, Albero, the main character, gets to deal with, uh, which also plays a large role in what what happens further down. And it's again, it's also that 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 annoying wrench in the machine again. You know. Uh, yeah, I I have nothing else to to add to that. That that totally makes sense to me. Uh, Jack, blue stocking. Do you have any uh, any questions or? Uh, Actually, I did have one question. Since you've made it clear that you have, you know, your magic versus technology issue, but what about or do you consider alchemy the same thing as magic, or do you have the same issue with steampunk books that bring in alchemy, where it's a little bit magic, a little bit science, you know? Uh, or do you consider I, alchemy? I mean, it, it really depends on on your story, doesn't it? I mean. Um, I like the idea of ancient wisdom, and this is one of the, the, the things that I uh, also delve in in some of the case files, where they uncover, like, strange artifacts. Um, but uh, again, um, the, the whole Clark Tech thing, you know, technology that advanced, it's indistinguishable from magic. Um, you know, that, that exists. Uh, I mean, we've got like the whole Pentagon currently coming out with um, all these stories about, well, all those UFO sightings we said weren't real. Well, actually, they were real. And these ships have propulsion we, we just can't explain, right? Yeah. Now, um, now uh, let's take a different, uh, different approach. Imagine you're a time traveler and you're going... Through the past to like let's say hunter gatherers like 6000 bc and you bring a lighter can you imagine their reaction when you are just taking that lighter and creating fire can you imagine the reaction they have yeah i mean i get where you're coming from with that but like i said because of the way the alchemy is usually written about because it is generally considered a, a mix of science. It was the, the cusp of where we were moving from magic to science, and so how that to you fits into... Uh, I guess it would be the same as a relationship with quantum technology at the moment, where, um, you know, we know how to do certain things with quantum technology. We do not understand how it works, True. but uh, when we do a certain thing and we keep doing that certain thing, that particular outcome keeps happening. So I imagine, it, it, but again, it, it depends on your setting. And because yeah. in my setting, in the uh, association of uh, Ishtar setting, as it is written now in my books, um, yeah, that, that, you know, if you would acknowledge magic, uh, that, that would have major consequences. You know, it is not, and th that's the thing, because uh, I often get like comments, oh, well, can't you just explain... Um, that uh, my, my airships have like anti-graph drive. And my issue then is, uh, why stop at airships then? 
Why not use it for every? Imagine the ability to control gravity. How that would change society. You know, it would be yeah. used on more than just airships. And then they they often come up. Oh well, there there is like I don't know some evil corporation, and it's only allowed to be used on airships now. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, I can see where you're coming from. You know. You know, and that's that's well, mostly what I'm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> like yourself, I'm getting comments in the. Uh, in the sideline here, and uh, Jack and I are both <laughs> trying to do two things at once. <laughs> but uh, so, I want your take on this. I don't know if it's released in the Netherlands or not, but it has that kind of style of of having to deal with magic and technology at the same time. Uh, the uh, the Netflix series um, Arcane kind of deals with that exact same thing of magic coming back into a world that is kind of primarily technology and it's like lost. And so the one guy who remembers it, who's like 300 years old or something, is just like, nope, we don't want anything to do with this. But, uh, um, I, 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 I think I heard of the name. Uh, well, there, there is one, um, series that I do know that, uh, delves into this topic, uh, which I really enjoy, which is uh, shadow run, uh, which mm -hmm. is, uh, a, uh, by the same people who made battle tech, and they uh, created a cyberpunk future where magic is returning. Uh, so, but like in their rule sets and in their stories, like there is this this perpetual battle between magic and technology. Um, you know, and and then they're like special viruses that only attack magic users, for example. Uh, so they create like uh, security against mages where they fill walls up with this particular virus so to stop mages from, from looking inside the buildings and stuff. Um, so it, it can be done. However, your entire setting needs to be like fine-tuned uh, for that situation. Uh, like you can combine cybernetics with magic. However, uh, the more cybernetics you have, the less magic you're able to use because you need that, that connection uh, with with nature, so to speak, um, so they have all manners of of things built into their system that 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 like emphasizes that that conflict. Um, and uh, yeah, too often it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we have like magic, and, and then they, oh, we have magic now, and then whatever, you know, that it just becomes this completely unfocused. It, yeah, yeah, it breaks your it yeah. breaks your world if you're yeah, not careful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they have like a heavy, like negative use. Like you use magic, then it like if you do like blood magic or something, there's got to be massive consequence to it, or else it just gets spirals out of control. Yeah, also somebody uh, I had somebody on the show who uh, was working on a kind of D and D steampunk setting, and they had like, oh yeah, the uh, the the mages like they create this undead workforce. Which, okay, that sounds interesting, but uh, yeah, also they like uh, pay all the people very low wages and blah blah. blah and, like. Why would they even pay people wages if they can create a undead workforce? Unions. Yeah, no, <laughs> that that's actually a, a, a nice one. And uh, unions are like incredible. Their power, like they're uh, in in England, they actually still have a union of lift operators. What do lift wow. operators do in the twenty first century? I do not know, but they have a union and they are still working. And they do it. They do it. Yeah. They push the buttons. Yeah. So yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just very happy that the unions haven't figured out how to make necromancy. Yeah, look at that voice-activated, you know, voice-activated elevators. <laughs> hey, it's my job to tell this elevator to go up and down, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> so yeah, Gotta get the Star Trek thing. universe going on, you know. Mm -hmm. Only certain people could talk to the. Uh, I'm now reminded of that South Park episode where uh, they 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 want to compete with Alexa, so they've got all these. Low wage people playing Alexa with, with dictionaries beside them. Like, <laughs> oh, love it. This is oh, the yeah. Yeah. Also, look into the if you if your system can run it because it's really old. Uh, Arcanum also has like this fantasy setting, uh, but it's a fantasy setting where technology is forcing away the magic users. So it's mm. the opposite of Shadowrun. Also very interesting. But again, they have like all these stories and events that kind of like emphasize these themes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, wizards do get to ride the back of the train. <laughs> that makes me think of uh, Shadow and Bone, which we seem to be constantly bringing up on this show. Yes. But uh, 
Uh, it's also on Netflix. It's awesome. Uh, it's Russian, uh, mm -hmm. but it's a world of magic where technology is catching up with magic and becoming more powerful. So magic is no longer going to be the the force as, that as keeps necessary. everybody in, in place. And uh, speaking of that, actually, the Magic Guild or you know, the union is getting pissed <laughs> that they're losing control and they're trying to find ways of making magic more powerful and it's going to... Yep, those are unions. It, it's interesting how these these concepts sort of swirl around and pop up in different uh, uh, shows and programs. Uh, that Well, I think in part it's the zeitgeist because, you know, especially with the whole COVID thing, um, you know... Um, uh, people are really talking more and more about automation, um, especially when uh, a lot of people in the United States can't find workers. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, you don't want to want to work for 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 our wages. Well, then we'll have robots do it. You know, uh, so it's it's accelerating uh, yeah. that that process, and um, you know, it's it's well, again, it's the wrench in the machine. You know, it's something that that's getting kicked down the road, and you know. It's it's interesting because people are like, well, you should work, you know, your 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 job for very little pay because it doesn't take any money to run a, a, apparently a kitchen in a fast food restaurant. Oh, by the way, we just spent millions upon millions of dollars replacing you with this robotic arm that can now fry all the fries for you, and all you got to do is clean it every now and yep. just like, I mean, it would have been cheaper to have people. I mean, yeah. You know, so it's just kind of. Well, I mean, it's it's very expensive to 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 hire people. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, when I, because I I'm an information manager, so I get to see what what people are paid and what companies are actually paying uh, their employers. And uh, because of social security, taxes, all these things that that come up, it's it's like you know you you'll be amazed what how expensive you actually are. When I was working in the oil field, it turns out that, yeah, what I was getting paid is actually like two thirds of how much money the company was actually spending on me because of like healthcare and all that fun stuff that when I actually sure. was able to get it and yeah. their taxes, their cut to the government for various different, uh, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, whatnot. Insurance. So like, yeah, hiring someone for a hundred, hundred, hundred grand is, uh, it's expensive, but I don't know. We're going to get to it's, a point it's, where we it's, have all this it's, automation. You, you, you're we'll, amazed, like, uh, why can't I get that money? You know, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> kind of like, like a contractor. Oh, uh, but, you yeah, know, it's, it's going to the government, it's going to insurance companies, it's going to do to, to, to your health care, you know, and you have to fight for that to get it too. Well, yeah. not exactly I don't have that, a problem that, with that. I, I think your employees should be the most costly part of your business. They're doing the yeah. work. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, for, for, for most companies it is and then those those few millions invested in that robotic arm you know on the long term yep save them lots of money on the back end yeah. but then like wonder why they can't hire people for cheaper money when there's a lot more people demanding it's like oh yeah we just saved 10 percent of our workforce from ever having to work again ever like there's just more people that are being pushed back out there they won't ever get a job again because of the fact is, yeah, they can go back to college because that's a big thing. But they go, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, and four years, uh, and then all of a sudden, that job they went to go tool up for is gone. Actually, actually, I have a line about it in the book um, where uh, one of the it might be in the first chapter, by the way, where one of the the, the cops is joking, you know, uh, learn to solder. Um, <laughs> Remember that line? Yep, <laughs> the line that can get you banned on Twitter, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, wow. that that was a that was a forbidden word because uh, certain people got so upset by that. Yeah, well, we could go on with this conversation for another hour, but <laughs> uh, we are we are at the hour mark, unfortunately. So uh, we're gonna have to zip it up and uh, let let everybody get on with their day. Um, so I would like to thank you again, Bonsart, for coming and uh, telling us what you've been working on this fabulous new book that we're going to take a look at. Uh, I need to thank our Patreon subscribers, uh, Rita Allen, uh, Kitty, Jenny Ryan Shaver, uh, and uh, the Dowager Duchess Claire Bear for uh, helping us through Patreon to uh, maintain ourselves up here on this uh, the internet. Uh, remind everyone that you can find us on Facebook at Texas Steampunk Connection. You can email us at the Texas Steampunk Connection at gmail.com. Uh, 
We're at texasteampunkconnection.podbean.com for our podcast and wherever you find your podcast through uh, iTunes or uh, Apple, however that all works. <laughs> and we are on Twitter at TXSteamConnect1. Uh, our music is brought to us by zapsplat.com. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for uh, popping in this Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening for Bonsar. Um, and that Russian guy out there, thank you for listening, even if I ticked you off. Uh, anybody got Great anything thing. else to throw in there before we uh, close it up? Um, well, uh, people, uh, of course, uh, you can uh, find all of uh, my books and, of course, the uh, future projects, blogs, and short stories of the Association of Ishtar on uh, com. Thank you. And, uh, of course, uh, like I said, people can contribute whatever they want. Um, I hope to do more uh, videos uh, on the stories in the future. And uh, I am currently a one-man team, so I am looking for... Uh, partners in crime who would like to help me uh, make the production of videos easier. Um, also, if you are an artist, I'm currently commissioning artists for the coloring book. And uh, yeah, anyone who can support me on Patreon. I also opened a Substack today. Not sure how that exactly works at this point, but I'll try to uh, post regularly there. And you can also support me on Subscribestar. So there are various options. And um, yeah, but the best way to support me and Radio Retro Future is buy the book. Um, I'm sure you will not regret it. Please leave reviews. Those are very important for us creators. And yeah, uh, overall, support your creators. Um, because uh, yeah, the, a lot of Steampunk creators don't get the love they deserve from the community. So uh, go at that. And uh, yeah. For other collaborations, um, yeah, please hit me up. I'm always up for, for exciting creative projects. And um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. All right. Everybody have a great rest of your Sunday or uh, evening. And good night. Mind your gauges, everybody. Gauges. Mind your gauges. And make things your way. <laughs>